0: We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Tonight's scripture passage is from Mark 14, 32 through 42 if you would like to take a moment to turn there in your Bibles or on your books. Again, that's Mark 14, 32 through 42. If you would please stand, if you're able to read that word together. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: God. Good evening. Uh, My name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you uh, to Salem. We are looking at the Jesus Storybook Bible. We have another month to go, and uh, we're getting near the end of the story. And um, it gets pretty dark here. Um, the title of this chapter um, is A Dark Night in the Garden, which is why we sang that first song, Go to Dark Gethsemane. And um, the, whole, the whole Storybook Bible is about this secret rescue plan of God that started uh, with God creating uh, Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden, and then they spread across the whole earth. Um, but in, instead of spreading uh, God's glory and reflecting his creativity, they spread uh, dominion and domination. And we kind of see the, um, the domination taking place here in this passage, the darkness, uh, the rule of evil. It seems to conquer tonight almost. And, and yet in the middle of this uh, darkness spreading uh, across the land, uh, there is this secret rescue plan that's operating uh, behind the scenes the whole time. Secret rescue plan where God is going to use all the darkness, you know, that these three best friends of Jesus are sleeping, and then off in the distance you see him, his silhouette, praying. Uh, it's, 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 uh, there's a lot of evil in that. Um, the fact that there's so much faithlessness on the part of humans, even as God is, um, is rescuing us, but... The, the secret rescue plan is all centered on this uh, human uh, Jesus, the Messiah. And uh, his name, as the storybook says, his name is whispered uh, in every single story. That's the whole point of this book. is The, the name of Jesus is ri- whispered on every story. And uh, it's more than whispered in this story. Uh, the name of Jesus is shouted in this story. Because this, this is his moment of crisis. If there was ever a moment where it could kind of have gone either way. If there was ever a pivot point in his life, it was this point. Because really after this, if you look at the story, he's pretty serene. Uh, he's, he seems like he's content. Uh, he, he, uh, he's going to the cross with a lot of confidence, the way he approaches the high priest, the way he approaches uh, Pilate, a lot of confidence. But in this story, he's falling apart. Uh, In this story, as Luke says, uh, he was sweating uh, clots of blood that were falling to the ground because he was so anxious. Apparently, that's a medical condition that can actually happen. That there was so much anxiety and stress that his sweat and his forehead became uh, filled with blood. Um, The pressure is huge here. Because at this point uh, in the story, the abandonment of his father... Is starting to happen. He's starting to experience uh, what he came to do, which was to experience all of our God forsakenness and take that into himself, so that we would never experience that. And this is where he comes and he takes our cup, the cup of wrath, which is all throughout the Old Testament, the cup of wrath, and uh, he he drinks uh, our condemnation, and then he gives us his cup of fellowship. He switches the cups. If you know the uh, Princess Bride where Vecini uh, is, is like playing these mind games with uh, the, the dread pirate Roberts and, uh, and he switches the cups thinking that he has poisoned um, Wesley. and actually backfires on him. But in the same way Jesus switches the cups here, he takes our cup of wrath and he gives us his cup of fellowship with the Father. So I want to look at those two things. And again, this is where it all happens. In a way, you can almost say, this is where we got saved. If you're a Christian, often we use the word we got, we're saved. This is where you got saved, if you're saved, is when Jesus made this choice to die for you and experience your God forsakenness so you could have his communion. So uh, the cup of wrath, first, him burying our God forsakenness, our experience of condemnation, the absence of God... Verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And this is a familiar garden. Uh, it is uh, the place where they often met, John 18.1. A garden where he often met with his disciples. So this is not the first time they've been there. Uh, they would go to Jerusalem several times in the, in the, uh, in the three years that they were together, Jesus and his disciples. They would go to Jerusalem. They would often meet in this garden. This is a garden where he found a lot of comfort. When we do discovering Salem, people say their favorite places. A lot of people say, "We're the gardens." Gardens are places where you find serenity and peace. And have you ever seen a picture of Gethsemane? You know, some of those trees might have been there. I mean, I don't know how old these things are, but it's like this ancient grove of these very gnarled. If you know what an olive tree looks like, it's kind of gothic. Uh, they're they're kind of gnarled, and the way they they they, um, they kind of spread out. They're very short and squat. They kind of spread out, and so uh, I love that the uh, she kind of has this phrase that makes you feel uh, that darkness. It says, The wind was picking up, and the clouds were racing across the moon. That's imaginative, uh, it's kind of an extrapolation, but it's still it's a, it's a good depiction of what this garden would have felt like. Again, in the picture, it's purple, it's a purple sky, um, like a bruise almost, and um, even in this garden it's secluded, so he's with his three best friends, away from his disciples, away from the world. He's come here for comfort. Even in the garden, he wants to be alone, so he gets off by himself. So it says, uh, He said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And then uh, Sally Lloyd Jones, again, who wrote this, she says, He walked alone into the dark. He needed to talk to his heavenly father. He knows what he's about to face and he feels like this is a place right before I you know, enter the storm. This is the calm before the storm. I'm going to enter this garden away from Peter, James, and John, away from my disciples, away from the world and just have a moment with my dad to prepare myself. So he expects to find calm in the storm and instead he hits a hurricane of pain. And uh, in the story in of the historic Bible, uh, it shows one of my favorite pictures uh, from above, you know, bird's eye view, like there's a like a drone with a camera and he's spread eagle and all you see all the gnarled olive trees surrounding him. But it says in uh, one translation of the Bible, the New English Bible, one of my favorite translations, uh, it says that this is verse 33. And if you have a Bible, you can compare it the way your verse 33 reads. But this is what it says in the New English Bible horror and dismay came over him. So these are emotions that just swept over him, horror. And he said, my heart is ready to break with grief. Now that's a description of the emotional life of uh, our Lord. So uh, what kind of permission does that give to us? What kind of permission to feel pain? And not just to feel pain, but to describe pain. Sometimes Christian think a uh, Christian thinks they need to put on a, uh, a a good front or a smiley face or, or appear to be joyful all the time, um, but this gives us enormous permission for ourselves to express really dark emotions, and also for you to have your friend express that, your brother or sister, and to just sit with those emotions. But I mean, horror and dismay came over him. That's not even all. Verse thirty-four. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And let's not sugarcoat that. That means that uh, he's having thoughts uh, that are, I want to die. That some of you all have experienced before. I know people very well who have experienced those thoughts all too well. Um, But he is giving you, again, "I, I feel like I want to die. He's giving us words for our pain. Uh, and to know that he's been there in our pain. That's the whole point of this whole thing. is He's going through this for us. So that he would be there for us when we we're in that place. It's like these ads. I don't know if you've seen these ads. Um, when I'm watching sports, there are these ads every now and then that, that they end with a tagline, he gets us. Have you seen any of these ads? They're really well done. They're, story- they're little ads about Jesus and his life. Uh, with excellent photographs and then a voiceover. And one is about the virgin birth. It's really beautiful. But the end of the ad just says, Jesus, he gets us. Or maybe it just says he gets us. But anyway, he gets us. That's the whole point of this. He threw himself on the ground in verse 35. Which is why in that picture he spread eagle. He threw himself on the ground. And he kind of like physically broke down. I feel like, you know, like a car breaking down. Just from grief. The weight of this moment, he just broke down. He he maybe couldn't physically keep moving. When I heard from my wife that she had cancer and it had spread, I remember walking in Atlanta. It was a general assembly. We were meeting at the Hyatt Regency. And I remember walking up towards my hotel. It's called John Portman Boulevard. I won't ever forget that. And I could not walk another step. Like It was kind of like my body froze. Because I think it just, something happens to your body when you have overwhelmed by that pain but he broke down he threw himself on the ground he just fell down and he kind of is going from in the next 12 hours he's going to go from praying abba father it's kind of like the most intimate language you can use and paul even tells us in romans chapter 8 that one of the great gifts jesus gave us is that we could pray abba father no no one had ever prayed abba abba means papa it's the, it's the words that almost every child in every culture, every language, Dada, Papa, it's just like Baba. Almost every culture has these really simple words for Papa or Daddy or Abba. And so the point is he's praying that in verse 36 so that uh, we can pray that with him. And, but he lost Abba Father. He went from Abba Father to 12 hours later in Mark fifteen thirty four, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he couldn't even say Abba anymore because he was experiencing so much abandonment. So my point is no one has ever lost so much intimacy so quickly. It's like when those huge cold fronts come in and the bitter gusts of wind and the air like plummets from 75 to 35. It's that kind of feeling. Just um, the worst pain Imaginable. You know, if, if a coworker that you've been working for, uh, with for like a year leaves the office, that's kind of that's hard. Um, if your neighbor who's been living on the street with you for like five years, if they leave the, neighbor, the neighborhood, that can be really, really hard. If your spouse that you've been married to for 50 years dies, that's almost unbearable. But when it's your father in heaven, Abba Father, who is your delight and your confidence from eternity... You know, no one has ever lost more because no one has ever had more to lose than him. And he describes hell in some of his parables as uh, outer darkness. And I think of that as like total void or vacuum or empty space. If you've seen the movie Gravity, it really portrays the terror of empty space very, very well. Uh, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock are like on this um, space station, and the danger of that movie is they could any moment they could just fly off into empty space and there'd be no gravity, there'd be no attraction. No, the Gravity is just when two objects are near each other, there's, there's this automatic attraction between every object in the universe, and the, the whole fear of the movie is that they could fly out into outer darkness with no gravity. In fact, George Clooney chooses to do that into outer darkness so that Sandra Bullock can come home and be with gravity on earth with attraction. And that's what Christ is doing. The story of Bible says, Papa, Jesus Christ, is there no other way to get your children back? I mean, that's hard to even fathom that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, could have this kind of doubt that this is the right plan. I mean, they planned this from eternity. And yet he says in verse 35, one of the great mysteries of Scripture, he says, let this pass from me. This hour when evil would black out the sky. He's prepared for this, his whole life, this hour. In fact, he and his father, according to the language he uses, they had planned it from long ago, he and his father. This was the covenant of redemption they made before the creation of the world. The father and the son agreed. Uh, you're going to take all the sins of the world on yourself, and I'm going to send you away. Uh, I'm going, uh, we're going to be apart from each other. There will be abandonment. That's the plan. And yet now it comes down to it, and he says, let this pass from you. So this is the pivot point, the mystery of mysteries, uh, that he would choose this for you, for all of us individually. For every human being, he makes this choice. It's the pivot point. And this is the moment that he won your salvation. Or if you, um, he won the ability for you to be saved. He, uh, he went to Gethsemane for you. And they once asked the great theologian Karl Barth, uh, when, were you, uh, when were you saved? Um, and Barth didn't really like the question. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't like that question. People asked, when, when were you saved? Uh, and Karl Barth uh, said something like, I was saved in Gethsemane. I was saved when Jesus made that decision for me. That's when I was saved. I was saved when I joined in uh, the choice that Christ made that I could never have made apart from Him. Where Jesus says in verse 36 after He asked for the cup to pass, who knows how long that distance is between those two, but He says, not what I will, but what you will. And He makes that choice that we could have never made, that we would never have made. And that's the crux, where He voluntarily, willingly lets go of the rope and He just plummets, He just falls into nothingness, into the memory dump, he's gone. And in, again, the story of the Bible, uh, violent sobs shook his body. I trust you, Papa, whatever you say, I'll do. And the amazing thing is that while this is happening, they're asleep. And so the question is, are you, are you bored by this story? I mean, are you bored? Are you bored by the fact that this happened for you? It's an amazing thing that, again, in the, all the enormity of the love of God, and that picture has them, they're, uh, they're asleep. They, uh, they can't keep their eyes open. They don't really care. We kind of yawn. You know, they're kind of disinterested in the level, the amount of love. And um, I mean, I say that as one of you who, who has a very hard time feeling um, anything about this sometimes. Sometimes very hard to feel anything about what he's done for you here. But that's the human condition that he found them sleeping, verse 37. We're asleep as he does this for us. And yet he's completely undeterred by that. He drinks the cup of wrath. He loses his father and the father loses his son. Equally painful for both. That's point one. The second point is he did that for the joy set before him, which was that we would have fellowship with him and his father. He did it for a joy. He went there. um, Now, he wasn't enjoying this. But he was looking forward to a greater joy that we would be gathered here tonight with other Christians all around the world. With two billion souls around this world gathering, uh, to, who, loving God with the cup of communion, filled with the spirit of God. That's why he did it. For the joy set before him. For what happens from AD 33 to 2022 AD. That's, that's why he did it. Um, so that we would never be fatherless, even in the darkest moment, the father, we, could, we could still say "Abba, Father," and that's the cup of communion of fellowship. So um, it's amazing that um, you know he, he's in there doing just making this incredible decision for them, and yet he keeps running back to them. He keeps running back to check on them. Uh, it's 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 astonishing that they should be checking on him, but he's actually the one running back and forth however that distance is, to check on them to make sure they're okay. Verse 37, uh, this is what one translation says. Um, this is an N-E-B again, New English Bible. He says, Asleep, Simon? Were you not able to stay awake for one hour? Now when I hear that, I hear um, like sarcasm. It doesn't sound like somebody who's you know, dying for them. Uh, it sounds like he's a little bit annoyed. And the second time he comes... He definitely sounds irritated. Verse forty-one: Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? They fell back asleep. He's asked them to pray, and they felt they fall asleep twice. And the third time, verse forty-one: The third time he came, and he said, "Still sleeping? Still taking your ease? Enough, enough. The hour has come." And at that point, he definitely sounds exasperated. And I want to ask you: uh, Do you feel like God is often exasperated? With you and your prayerlessness. When you, when you try to pray at night or in the morning and you fall asleep, do you think, I'm really screwing this up. And he's probably really annoyed at me right now. And he really needs me to be praying for these things and I am failing him. And so uh, he's probably like, are you still asleep? Are you still taking your ease? So I used to always think that this was a passage about him wanting them to comfort him. Like, you need to pray for me because I'm really scared right now. And if you don't pray for me, I can get really upset about it. But that's not what's going on at all. If you look uh, at verse 38, he's not not asking to pray for him. What does he say? He says, uh, watch and pray that you, you don't fall into temptation. He's worried about them. He's not worried about him. I don't think he was annoyed or um, exasperated. I don't think he was being sarcastic. I don't think he was being ironic. I think he was just devastated. Uh, I think he's overwhelmed by the evil that he didn't even you know, fathom could be that much, like that much darkness. He was, he's encountering this level of darkness, just it's part of the devastation. But he's still thanking them. He's looking out for them. And he's saying to them, make sure right now uh, evil is about to hit hard against all of us and split us apart and make sure that you do not abandon me because you're going to be very tempted to leave me. You're going to be tempted to apostatize and run away. And you're in great danger of being picked off by the evil one and just leaving and just uh, completely abandoning the faith. And so pray for yourself. Pray for yourself that you do not do that. Um, Pray that you do not deny me. Which is something uh, we should be praying for for ourselves, because uh, the temptation uh, to deny Christ, that you know Christ. Uh, in a conversation is enormous it could be passive where you just don't want to bring him up or it could be active where somebody actually says are you a christian you're like no not really i am i'm spiritual not religious you know you just kind of don't you just sidestep it um but the the pressure i feel like there's a pressure more and more uh to not say anything There's there's a pressure in our society that if you say something about your faith specifically if you say something about christ uh that would be taken poorly that you don't get cool points at all. And so it's hard to say his name. It's hard to feel like you're a fool. Um, but the amazing thing about this is that Jesus understands that. And he says in verse 38, your flesh is weak. I know that. Uh, the, the, human, the flesh doesn't mean skin. Flesh means uh, your, your nature, uh, your natural human sinful tendency to fall asleep. Your, your natural tendency to drift away from God. Your tendency to be bored and to to yawn at God, uh, that's the flesh. And he says, your flesh is weak. So he's not chastising them. He's acknowledging the difficulty. Your flesh is weak. But then he declares this victory over that. But the spirit... I don't think it's supposed to be your spirit. Like, you have a a strong spirit and a weak flesh. That's not the way the Bible conceives of a human being. It's like, the Holy Spirit, who I'm going to give you when I go and send it out on Pentecost... My spirit, it's willing. In fact, it's more willing. It will be more willing than your flesh is weak. Uh, The Holy Spirit. That's the victory that he's proclaiming right in the middle of their uh, slumber and their failure. He's saying, and yet my my spirit will be there. You will deny me three times, Peter. In just a few hours, you're going to deny me three times. And I am going to strengthen you three times. You're going to deny me, and I'm going to restore you. They fall asleep three times. He strengthens them three times. So imagine Peter. You know, where was Peter when the cross was happening? Where was he when they were Jesus' mother, Mary Magdalene, and John were below the cross? I think that's the only people that were there. But where was Peter? Um, I think he was probably hearing the screams from a distance. Because he had denied Jesus three times. He had said explicitly, I do not know that man. Because he would have gotten in trouble if he had acknowledged Jesus. But he denied him three times. And so when they actually crucified Christ, I imagine Peter, like, on a hillside at a safe distance, hearing the screams. Maybe seeing a little bit of stuff going on. But can you imagine just the condemnation that would have swept over him? Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know when you felt most guilty for something you did wrong. But Peter... Who kept saying, you know, I am, the, I am the one that's faithful to you, Lord. I am the one that will never leave you. I will never deny you. And three times. And so he's just, Peter's just alone, like, drinking from a bottle. Like, totally filled with condemnation. Just drinking from that huge cup of condemnation. And Jesus comes, and this is the amazing, and he drinks it, he drinks it for him. Next to him. Sits beside him and drinks it for him. The prophecy of the Old Testament is Isaiah 51, 17. He's talking about the Messiah. And he says, you have drunk the cup of Yahweh's wrath. You have drained it to the dregs. Every last drop of condemnation for God's people will be gone. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because he drunk the cup. One of my favorite parts of the um, Harry Potter series is when Dumbledore... uh, I watched the clip again today. He's in that cave... There's the potion of despair. And to kill Voldemort, he has to drink that to kill that Horcrux. So he says to Harry, it has to be drunk, all of it. And he's trembling as he's looking at this stuff. The potion of despair. He says, it might cause me so much pain that I beg for relief. And you have to make sure I drink it. He drink- and he drinks it to the dregs. all the way. That means to the bottom. And the story of the Bible says all the poison... Was going into his heart. The Father was going to pour all our sickness into his body and it would crush Jesus. So you have the two cups. You have the cup of wrath that he willingly drank for us for the joy set before him. And you have the cup of communion that he gives you tonight. And he gives it to you saying, I don't want you to feel any condemnation at all. In fact, if you feel the condemnation, uh, that's, that's going against my purposes, my heart for you. Like, I did all this so you wouldn't feel that. So uh, as you come up here to, to drink um, this cup, just um, make your best effort not to be feeling condemnation. Let the Spirit sweep all of that out of you and experience the, the joy of communion. Uh, all his energy was so that you would feel the joy of his communion.
0: Remember, we love these rascals.